Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today we're going to explore a story that I refer to as the Golden Harvest. This was an incident that happened in the mid-1800s in Battle Creek, Michigan, but it impacted the surrounding communities around Battle Creek, as far away as Charlotte and Hastings, and as far south as Coldwater during this time period. And we're also going to take a look at some of the history of Michigan crops and what followed this golden harvest in later years in Michigan. So come along and join me. It's going to be a fascinating look at the early agricultural story of this region. Now, one of the earliest crops that was planted by the pioneer settlers in southwest Michigan was wheat. It was the crop of choice for starting any kind of community in the southwest Michigan area. And what followed the wheat crops was the establishment of grist mills. The first grist mill that was established in Battle Creek was established by Alonzo Noble and Almond Whitcomb, and they established that in 1837. The mill later became owned by J.J. and Ellery Hicks in 1852. Now, there were several other mills that were established and grist mills that followed and there were a lot of the the granaries and that sort of thing downtown during that period and a lot of the mills were built around mill races you'll find that's the same case when you look at surrounding communities around battle creek including kalamazoo and marshall and virtually all over the state where they were establishing communities along waterways there were mills Anywhere near a river had a grist mill as part of their early establishment period, and one of the bumper crops of the time was wheat. That was the crop of choice for early planting. You don't see that today in Michigan. The crop was later uh, replaced by other crops like corn and soy here in Michigan and several other things. Today in the United States, the biggest state that produces wheat is Kansas with about 7.3 million acres and North Dakota has 6.5 million acres and Montana has 5.5 million acres Uh, and they're tied with Texas at the same 5.5 million acres and also Oklahoma has uh, 4.4 million acres and this is according to the agricultural marketing resource center.org in the early settlement years of Michigan Michigan was an emerging crop of wheat, and that was the main crop of choice for that time period, with a few other exceptions like corn. Now, something happened in the 1860s that brought about the subject of what today's podcast is. Um, There was a bad winter in the late 1860s, and the price of wheat had gone sailing upwards. So the following September... Every farmer sowed as much seed of wheat as they could afford on every acre that they could cultivate. There was essentially a bumper crop of wheat, and there was a price drop that was threatened. So farmers' magazines advised their readers to carry their wheat over until the next spring. And so when the spring came and the roads finally got settled enough for travel, and in those days a lot of the travel was done by ox cart and wagon. 
Some of them were traveling by horse and wagon. But at that point in time, by that spring when the roads thawed, there was more wheat stored within 10 miles of Battle Creek than ever before in the history of the territory. And one day in May, a great procession of teams of wagons, each loaded down with between 16 to 24 bags of wheat, began to line up near what would be called present-day Horrocks, if you're familiar with downtown Battle Creek. That would be the intersection of Dickman Road and Capitol Avenue. And they began to line up there. They followed all the way over to Michigan Avenue. At that point, it was called Main Street. And then they would go up to the corner of Van Buren Street. And at Van Buren Street, there were some railroad tracks there. And then they would unload the grain onto a grain elevator. And then their return trip would be down Van Buren Street to Division Street and then back out of town. Most of the wagons came from the south. There were a percentage of them that came from the north up near Assyria Township and over in the Bellevue area. Now, according to historian J.H. Brown, there were between 500 to 800 loads of wheat that sunny day in May. And they were coming from farms chiefly to the south of Battle Creek. And what was very fascinating about this is most of these farmers didn't know that their neighbors would be of the same mind. And so the farmers had not planned for any lunch for themselves or their animals. They just headed into town like it was going to be a normal day. And they didn't dare get out of the slow-moving line. Uh, the farmers that day received $3.15 per bushel, which was the highest the city ever saw. And many farmers had raised enough wheat on 20 to 40 acres of ground to entirely pay off the land where their wheat was that they had grown it. So according to historian Charles Barnes, who I've referenced many times before on this podcast, he wrote of the incident 40 years after it happened, around 1900, Battle Creek today has no conception of the site presented on the wheat buying time in those days. At that time, farmers from Charlotte, Bellevue, Assyria, Hastings, Athens, and Climax brought their wheat to Battle Creek for sale day after day, year after year. So between the years 1860 to 1870, the unusual site could be seen in the form of 50 to 100 loads of wheat standing in line and waiting for their turn to be unloaded at the mills and at the Michigan Central Elevator that stood on the north side of the tracks. It was actually a time of prosperity for the region around Battle Creek. And this happened many, many years before the cereal boom, which came almost 40 years later. So this could be described as the golden harvest, this period of time in history for that decade when the prices of wheat had shot up. There was an abundant bumper crop year after year with good weather. And there were some very productive farmers loading up their wagons and bringing them into town. And it was a time of prosperity. The demand for wheat back east on the east coast was pretty high. And so this golden harvest could be described as not only for the color of the wheat, but for the prosperity it created with the local farming communities 
for almost two decades. What ultimately changed it was the market for wheat in Michigan in the late 1870s began to receive competition from western states and also Canada. As you can see by the example I gave you, Kansas was suddenly getting settled. The Dakota's land grabs were being opened up, the same with Montana. And Texas was settling as well as Oklahoma. So you start seeing the Midwest start producing wheat. And of course, the climate was probably a little bit more preferable there than some of the Michigan winters and uh, the probably the terrain. And the, there was a lot more flat land, less difficulty in developing the land and so forth. So some farmers started moving west. And of course, there was a lot more land available, so there were larger farms, and wheat production began to give its way over to the Midwest, and the farmers in Michigan began to change their crops. And those western states and Canada began supplying the eastern market. Now, I found some references that also stated that the variety of wheat that was being planted in these other areas became a preferred form of wheat, and that the variety of wheat they were planting and growing here in Michigan became less preferable as the time changed. You know, and it's very difficult to shift a crop when you're used to planting the same wheat, reusing the seeds that you grow from your crop for the following spring to switch a variety of wheat. You can see that that, that could have been a little bit more of a challenge for many of the farmers and then try to grow that wheat and get caught up with the market where these other areas were more established with that variety of wheat, and they were already taking that market share. So you suddenly come in last in line in the competition. So it was easier to change the crop entirely, and that's what Michigan did, is they began to shift over to corn, and the production of wheat began to die off. And as time went on, the milling industry began to shift and it began to be changing not only in the types of mills. Water mills were suddenly being replaced by steam mills, which could put the mills in inland and not necessarily dependent on the river or waterways. That had an effect on the milling industry. There was also more competition as the country became developed, as I mentioned before. And then the Battle Creek market began to shift over to cereal manufacturing as we turned the century. So that had an impact on the harvesting of wheat and the, mil the granaries that were established to handle the wheat production. So, however, it is hard to imagine today to look back at a downtown area like Battle Creek to think that there were rows of wagons of oxen and horses pulling wagon loads of bags of wheat down the street, lining up for unloading near the railroad tracks. And this was the age before the automobile, and it was a very fascinating time. And I, I would imagine that in later years, when they saw the first wave of farmers come in on that day in the late early 1860s, when it was backed up and there was something like 400 farmers' wagons lined up for unloading that the city around began to prepare and plan for lunches and that sort of thing and the farmers themselves probably began to prepare themselves for that as well 
So this period of time I refer to as the Golden Harvest when I look at this in the history books. It was a very uh, interesting time of prosperity, and it was one of the very first big times of prosperity for the city of Battle Creek. Following this, there was a boom of prosperity in the manufacturing of the early days of the industrial period with the threshers, and there was the uh, Advanced Thresher Company, and there was the Nichols and Shepherd Company. Both of those companies began manufacturing farm equipment that created a boom in industry in the area. And it also created a boom in the farming because it made farming a lot more productive. But they were shipping their machines all over the country as well as the, into Europe. And you might say that this period of time was akin to a perfect storm where you had the prices of wheat out east being very high and the advances made in grinding of flour and in the automation increasing productivity along with the farming equipment and these new tools like the thresher and it just made it possible for the farmers to move into a level of greater wealth and greater return for their hard labor. Now, in modern day, according to the Michigan Agricultural Department, the biggest crops in Michigan consist of asparagus, where the state produces up to 23 million pounds annually. And in fact, in 2019, Michigan asparagus production was valued at more than 23.2 million in value. And the Michigan growers harvested approximately 9,500 acres annually of Michigan asparagus. Another major crop today is blueberries. Michigan is one of the top producing states in growing these sweet, juicy, and high quality berries. In an average year, Michigan blueberry farmers produce more than 100 million pounds of more than 30 mouthwatering varieties of high bush blueberries. More than 50% of all Michigan blueberries are shipped to the fresh market. The rest are frozen, pureed, concentrated, or canned, or to be used in many different value-added products. And modern-day blueberry farming began in Michigan in the early 1900s. And today it's the perennial crop harvested from more than 20,000 acres in Michigan, which is quite significant. And these crops are processed, harvested, and packed by 575 family farms annually, contributing about $132 million to the state's economy, which is quite something. Another major crop today, and it's kind of funny because I've mentioned this before when I talked about the Halloween video, and that is cabbage. Michigan produces several varieties of cabbage in staggered harvests, and they're producing a longer season to which consumers may find fresh cabbage. In 2016, Michigan farmers across the state produced 115.5 million pounds of cabbage, worth about 17 million. So cabbage has been a crop that has been grown in Michigan dating back to the mid-1800s. And you can see that in old newspapers, particularly around Halloween, kids would go out in the cabbage fields and throw these things around 
on Halloween night as part of their evening of mayhem. And cabbages have been around quite a long time in the state of Michigan. And an interesting note on some of the other crops, carrots. In 2018, Michigan produced 152 million pounds of carrots worth 14.5 million. This made Michigan the fourth highest fresh carrot producing state in the country, which is quite interesting. Michigan carrots are primarily found in the west central counties of Nuego and Oceana. And anybody that lives in Kalamazoo knows that celery is a major crop. Michigan celery production began in Kalamazoo County. Today, the majority of Michigan's celery is still grown in the southwest counties of the state. In 2018, celery generated 19.5 million from 110 million pounds grown in Michigan, ranking the state second among the top celery-producing states in the entire country. And of course, cherries is another major crop. Michigan grows 70% of the supply of tart cherries in the United States. In 2018, Michigan produced 201 million pounds of tart cherries, which was a value of $280.1 million. Of course, the northwest counties of Michigan are so well known for cherries that Traverse City even hosts the annual National Cherry Festival. And it is kind of hard to live in Michigan without hearing about the Cherry Festival and being tempted to go up there during that time. Michigan is the largest producing region in the world for Montemorency tart cherries. This unique variety is known as America's Superfruit. And another interesting fact, Michigan chestnuts are sold fresh, peeled, frozen, sliced, or as a flour. Chestnut flour is gluten-free, and it's an alternative to wheat flour. The natural sweetness of chestnut flour enhances the delicate flavors of many baked goods. So chestnut slices are a great additive to breads or salads, and what's interesting is they have a shelf life of about two years. So chestnuts have been used in a wide variety of dishes, from soups to stews and stuffings to fancy desserts. In 2017, chestnuts were grown in 143 farms covering 675 acres, and Michigan ranks in the nation for the production of chestnuts. So it's one of the smaller, lesser-known crops that people aren't aware of that Michigan produces. And one of the interesting harvests that people don't usually pay much attention to or realize is that Michigan ranks third in the nation in the number of Christmas trees harvested, supplying approximately 1.55 million fresh Christmas trees to the national market each year. Michigan also produces and sells more than nine major Christmas tree species on a wholesale level, which is more species than any other state. Our state has approximately 37,000 acres in commercial Christmas tree production, with an annual farm gate value of more than $27 million. The industry receives an additional $1.3 million in sales of wreaths, cut bows, 
garlands, and other cut greens. So for every Christmas tree harvested, Michigan's Christmas tree farmers plant three new trees for future harvests. So that's a smart way of doing it to keep the industry and the production of Christmas trees going in Michigan. And of course, corn is a major crop in Michigan. 2.3 million acres of corn are grown in cornfields, and they're also tied with soybean fields for most coverage in Michigan crops. The majority of Michigan corn is exported out of the state, while the corn that stays is used for animal feed and ethanol. Corn production is concentrated in the lower peninsula with Saginaw and Lenawa counties as Michigan's largest producers. In 2018, Michigan produced 297 million bushels of corn grain worth $1 billion. And perhaps you didn't know that cucumbers was another major ranking crop in Michigan. Michigan ranks first nationally in the production of cucumbers for pickling. In 2016, Michigan produced 236,700 tons of pickling cucumbers with a value of, get this, $47 million. In addition, the state produces 68 million pounds of cucumbers for the fresh market worth about $15 million. So Michigan is a big cucumber-producing state, and if you've ever had a garden in your backyard here in Michigan and you planted those little boogers, they grow like crazy in Michigan soil. And the last crop that I'm going to talk about here is Michigan produces several classes of dry edible beans, including azuki beans, black beans, cranberry beans, great northern beans, and dark red, light red, and white kidney beans, as well as navy beans, pinto beans, small red beans, and the yellow eye beans. So rich farmland in Michigan's thumb counties grow more beans than any other place in the state. In fact, Huron County, on that side of the state, is one of the top dry bean producing counties in the country. In 2016, Michigan produced roughly 400 million pounds of dry edible beans with a value of $126 million. So if you ever go pick up some dry beans to make some uh, chili and throw it in a crock pot, good chances it came from Michigan. So anyways, I wanted to give you that tour through some of the history of the golden harvest when Michigan was a major wheat producer way back in the 1800s and how it evolved over time to take up other crops and change to other crops as um, the economies changed, as different um, demand for different types of crops changed over the years. And it's interesting to note that Michigan has quite a diversity of crops in the state, everything from fruit production to bean production to basic components like corn and other types of vegetables that are out there. So a little bit of a fascinating tour through some agricultural history today. And that is going to conclude today's episode looking at that fascinating history of the golden harvest and the crops that followed. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore 
even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening. <laughs>